You're listening to Don't Waste Water. If I see that, I want to go on the booze, I want to shake this person. Someone spent thousands of euros for this booze to bring the technology to here, to bring you here. And you are sitting over there and you are playing on your mobile. What sense does this make? Nonsense. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. The best market study you can have is grab your phone, take the next flight, go to the customer and talk to them. Go to a fair trade show where your customers are and just talk to them. Do a round trip, go to a conference where customers from you are and ask them directly. What is it what you want? I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Bjorn Otto as my guest. If I get the same question, I always ask back how many hours you spent yourself in training yourself, reading books, taking courses on your own pocket. What is the most common answer? Zero. I know you, you know me. So I spent hundreds of hours on books, on courses, on videos to become better. And these are the persons you have to reach out. These are the persons you have to look for and then bring them to the position. And then you will have a game change in your company. Bjorn is the founder and managing director of Interest Solutions. If marketing comes to you with new ideas, try it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be so defensive and say, ha ha, we did this, it doesn't work. Maybe there's a reason why the marketer or the marketing person or the marketing team wants to test something new. Interest Solutions supports water technology companies with outsourced marketing solutions and a very special touch. It's marketing done by water professionals that understand water technologies. Let me open with the understatement of the year. Marketing is not the water industry's forte. I dare you to find one out of the 187 previous episodes of this podcast in which we don't at least allude to the flaws in our sector's marketing. We've discussed how it impacts water's value, water's perception, water technology's takeoff and market adoption, the general public's understanding of our sector, how it inhibits the fight against water scarcity, how it opens boulevards for bottled water or unsustainable practices, and much more and much worse. But once we've said all that, what do we do about it? Sitting on our hands and complaining is not really in the DNA of this sector. So it's about time we apply this forward thinking to marketing as well. That requires some know-how, some understanding of the root causes of the situation we're in, a ton of expertise and, more important, practical, concrete and actionable pieces of advice. That is why I reached out to my co-host on The Water Show, Bjorn Otto, and gave him this simple task. Provide water industry decision makers, investors and key actors with a blueprint for action. And God, did he deliver on the request. So without further ado, I let you dive into my discussion with him. Last stop before that, if you like today's content, consider subscribing and sharing that episode with your boss, a colleague, your marketing manager, or that promising young engineer in your team you'd think would make an incredible marketer going forward. And I'll meet you on the other side. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Hi Bjorn, hey. welcome to the show. Hi Antoine. On one end, it's been a while because you've been on that show two years ago. Yeah. On the other end, if people have tuned in to one of the water shows, they do know that we've recorded a lot of pieces together, but this one is different. I'm not here to bring any contradiction to you. I'm here to raise questions. And to start with, there is something which drastically changed compared to the last time that we recorded together, which is at the time we were working for H&E. And today you're working for a company called Interior Solutions. What is Interior Solutions doing? First of all, thank you very much, Antoine, having me here on your podcast. Thanks for the invite after two years. Really, a lot of things have really changed over the last two years. I formed the company and I had always in my head, you know, that our water tech companies, they need some more support in terms of marketing because I was always struggling. I was struggling due to the time I was in the position having the marketing around me and have agencies around me. And I was always struggling to finding right partners who really understand the water industry and as well tech. Even my team, my marketing team, it turned out that sometimes you really couldn't separate an RO from an UF. And that makes me crazy. And one day, really, I had the idea. One day, I will form a company to help our water tech companies in terms of marketing. And that's exactly what we do here at Interior Solutions. We are a marketing, consulting, and execution company for water technology companies. We're helping, really, water technology companies being visible, making their technology visible to the right people. I'm from the water industry since, since many years. Most of the technologies 
I know, I know the market, I know the players, not all of them for sure, but at least most of them. And I know how it is, especially if you're a startup coming to this world, to our water world, not having any clue what is going on, what is an integrator, what is an APC, even that kind of questions we are answering. And then we just help them bringing that product, that technology to the right uh, stakeholder. That's what we do. The last time we recorded, you mentioned the story of people considering Amazon to be the competitor <laughs> of the water industry because they also sell water filters. And when I listen to you right now, it sounds like that hasn't really changed. Let me start by being maybe provocative a bit. Pardon me if it's over the limits. Why do water companies do marketing so wrong? In principle, from my perspective, and that's exactly what I figured out over the last years, that there are people in church who have only a little knowledge about the water technology they're working for, or the water company they're working for. So what I have figured out really is that most of the people in marketing, they are just coming from another company, which has nothing to do with water, but they did marketing over there, or they're coming directly from university and having just the marketing knowledge, but they don't have any water and technology knowledge. That is one thing. But the other thing is we are not training them enough. I remember my times. I started after university with Chemviron Carbon. It's an activated carbon company based in Belgium. So I started there as sales engineer. And the first thing they did is they took me, put me into an apartment in Belgium for two months, and I had to learn everything about activated carbon from the theory up to the practice. I was loading activated carbon. I was looking how the reactivation is. I had to learn this, this really before they sent me to the clients. And that's exactly what I miss in our industry because we are putting people in place, which are maybe great in marketing, but don't bring the knowledge with from the industry and from the technology. And the question really is, why do we not train them in the way I was trained, for instance, and bigger companies do this for the salespeople. I heard recently from a, a software startup, if someone wants to start a marketing, he has to spend at least three months in customer service before they let him go to marketing, that they understand really what the customer really wants. And then they jump into marketing and then they bring their marketing knowledge and then they have the knowledge from the technology or from, from whatever you do. And then they can bring this to the people. That is much easier as we do it today. But I'm still not sure I understand the problem. I see what you say, and I fully agree with you that the onboarding process is second to none for the marketing people within this industry, at least from what I saw. But what's the problem with that? Do they really need to understand the water industry? Can you sell a product if you have no clue about the product? Is you, marketing's role to sell? Isn't it part of? Part of the sales process is always that you start the conversation to bring your technology into the head of the customer until you transfer the lead to the sales department. And the sales department is just converting what you have prepared. How can you qualify a lead which might be interested in your technology to a level that you give it to the sales? Isn't that exactly where the clinch or the clash between sales and marketing in our industry comes from? Sales are saying marketing has no clue about our technology and marketing is saying sales is doing wrong with all the leads we gave them. And the issue here really is more on the marketing side as on the sales side. I've worked on both ends and the marketing is giving the sales leads which are not qualified, where they got a signal, but this signal is not qualifying that this person or this company does really have the intention to take the tag, to implement the tag, and has the capabilities to use the tag for the application. And that's where the sales come into place and say, hey, there's no intention, and I will not take the leads I get from marketing. Marketing has to move first, and then maybe we can bring this together a little bit more. Isn't that a clash which happens in every single industry that sales and marketing are accusing each other of being responsible for not succeeding? I mean, sales will say marketing didn't qualify the leads, and marketing will say sales didn't follow the leads. Usually when you win, there are lots of feathers of the victory. When you lose, there are lots of people accusing others. So is it specific to the water industry? Well, actually, I'm just from the water industry. I haven't seen any <laughs> other industry. So, point. But let's say, I, I give you an example. If there's a fair trade show, from which budget is that paid? Mostly from marketing. Marketing is saying, I want to go to Aquatech, which is this November. So marketing has to pay the bill. And then they are sending all the salespeople to. But if the salespeople are not convinced about the show, it will not be a successful show. Who will be blamed about 
the non-successful show. First of all, marketing, because marketing has picked this show. And maybe they just picked the wrong. I will never say that Aquatech is wrong, but it's just an example. So if they picked the wrong show, the wrong conference, and sales have to go there, and then it is not successful, the blame is on the marketing. What I encourage, I really want to encourage the marketing, hey, go out there. Stay the one-week effort all day long with the salespeople. Have the talk up to the knowledge where you can say, okay, now I'm, maybe I'm missing something. I'm transferring you to an expert or take an expert risk. And the other example is clearly, hey guys, go out to the customers, try to sell your product. If you are marketing and you want to market something and you have never tried, never ever tried to sell a membrane, a pipe, a ball valve or whatever. If you have never tried this, then you have never heard the hurdles you have to overcome. And then you can make the life easier for the sales. If you know the hurdles he has to overcome and then you know everything the lead will say against you and then you can have a preparation in terms of marketing that it is easier to qualify the lead. But if you're just sitting in your office and thinking all day long, is that in our row or is that in ultrafiltration membrane? I don't know. Then you will never get this level and then you will ever have this clash. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Un Putting trade show in the fridge, we'll come back to that okay. because that is an interesting topic. There's another one which I'll take later. There's a last element which I'd like to, to grab your brain on. On that microphone, I had guests like Greg Newbloom from Membrian, Megan Glover from 120 Water, and I have many more examples of very successful entrepreneurs which were coming from totally outside of the industry. They had no clue about the industry and there's this thing, they didn't know it was impossible, so they did it. Wouldn't it be the same for marketing? Like you come from, I don't know, Procter and Gamble, you've spent your life doing B2C and you learn some tactics and you come into the industry, in the water industry, and maybe with your experience of B2C Procter and Gamble, you can transfer that into B2B water industry. Is that fully impossible? I'm not saying it is impossible. For instance, one of my clients is an APC contractor. Since five years, seven years in the market, and they made a couple of millions over this time. And I asked him, okay, so far there was no marketing at all. Why did you want to hire us? And he said clearly, hey, I don't want to run out of my luck. Up to a certain point, he's clearly saying, hey, we need some support to keep that level, to increase that level and to ensure that we are not falling back. There's never ever a guarantee with or without marketing that you are successful or not successful. Both ways are possible, but sometimes it's just easier, especially if you have someone who can tell you from the strategic perspective. I and mean, marketing is not PowerPoint. I think we are pretty clear on that. But marketing is also not just social media or email nurturing or whatever. Marketing is also strategic, especially if it comes to which direction are we going? Is that the right market? Is that the right product for the right market? Who's the first contact who should talk to customers or potential customers for your new product before you launch it. It's marketing, from my perspective. And that's what's missing in the industry. Mostly, what happened is, you developed something, like in the 80s, you made a product a little bit better. That's the best example we, we can find quite often. You made the product better, and then you jump into the market and say, hey, I have a new product, but the market is not ready for you. It's not waiting for you. So why not going upfront, really to clients? And that's clearly a job of marketing. They have to talk and to, to clients. They have to find some potential leads first. And then they hand over that. But the first contact, if you want to go into a new application, should be marketing. They have to figure that out. And then everything works. Then you send the sales. Because the sales, they should know all the techniques to really get the product from the shelf to the customer. I'd like to grab your brain on the concept which I've read from Louis Grenier. And I know we discussed Louis Grenier together in the past and I love Louis Grenier and you don't share that opinion. So I'd be interested in having your opinion on that. Louis Grenier thinks that the marketing people nowadays focus on 8% of their job and that this is the reason why they're not successful. And his reason for that is that they are three party in the marketing job, a bit like what you just explained. The diagnosis, what's going on, what's the problem in the market, finding out, understanding the market. Then the strategy, where should we be going? Where should we not be going? And then the tactics. Once you've decided that, where do we go? And then inside the tactics, you have the famous four Ps, which you find in, in management schools. So product, price, placement, promotion. And usually marketing spends a lot of time on promotion. So the job of marketing is promotion. So promotion is one of the four P, meaning 25% 
of the four P, so 25% of the tactics. The tactics are one third of the entire game. So 25% ah, of one third makes okay. 8%. So that's his rationale to say marketing spends far too long on that and not enough on the rest. Mm -hmm. Would you share that opinion? 100%. But I'm always want to blame here the management because the management has to take the marketing because they have to have the capabilities and then you have to use the capabilities. If you just throw them the next PowerPoint presentation for the next board meeting and say, hey, change it, we need it in a new style, then you shouldn't wonder why they are just using 8% of the capacity. But if you really bring them on board, they should have the highest knowledge about our clients. And if you bring this knowledge on the table, up front, and then we have it. We have strategy, we have the management, we have all the decisions up to the tactics, up to promotion and communication, but you have to start early. And most companies I met are using just the tactics. How can we be visible? But the strategy element, they keep for yourself. The CEO is doing this with the CFO or just the board is saying, cool, this is Elysium, let's jump into the Elysium game. Or this is a semiconductor industry. In Germany, there are a couple of in, in, uh, companies coming. Let's jump into that game without really having a fundamental action plan and a strategy and an evaluation. Is that really possible for us? Do we have the manpower? Do we have the technology? Things like that. That's all a marketing. Don't get me wrong, that's marketing, but it is used too seldom. And why is that? Again, you cannot send someone for finding out a process water treatment in the semiconductor industry if this person has no clue about the water industry, about the technologies, about all other technologies. And that is a missing point. We are using people from marketing who just have a marketing brain. It's these kind of, as you said, these kind of promotion brain. They are maybe good in promotion. They can write a good copy. They can create a good visual or whatever. But all the work upfront, which is much more important than that, is missing and is not used because most of the marketers, they don't have this knowledge and that's why it's not used. So I want really to see a shift. Take your engineers and train them in marketing and keep them with their water knowledge, with their engineering hat. You told me once, two years ago, you told me a zebra and because I have an engineering hat and I have a marketing hat and I want to encourage the companies use people. If you can't find them, it's pretty hard, believe me. If you can't find them, train them. You have engineers, train them to the point that they are marketing. Same you should do, by the way, for sales. All the sales leaders, they should be the go-to person in terms of all sales techniques. So they should be trained on sales as well. So we send our R&D all over the world that they get trained, but we don't do it with, for instance, marketing. And that is the missing link here. But I fully agree with the study with the 8%. I never heard about that. So you agree with Louis Grenier. I'm happy because he's French. And I know that you have sometimes a hard time to agree with the French. I have only a hard time to agree with you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> what you said made me think of Saltworks. Ben Sparrow, the CEO of Saltworks, was my guest one year ago. And by the time this episode airs, there should be another one with him airing shortly before. And the reason why I connected to that is that the person in charge of marketing at Saltworks is a guy called Pierce McGuire, and he has a PhD. In what? In uh, engineering. Okay. So he knows the ins and outs of the technical part. And just at some point, he realized that he was more attracted to the marketing element of it. It's the first time ever I've met a responsible for marketing, which has a PhD. And I don't have many other examples, maybe outside of you, of an engineer in that marketing role. Why that? Why in an industry with 80% of the people being an engineer, why don't we see more people just in marketing? Just, I, I think just today we had the example that someone said he had an engineering study and after that he decided, okay, I want to go into the, on the commercial side. First of all, you need to offer this to your people. If you have a team of engineers, sales engineers and so on, process engineers. Why not going around and figuring out maybe there's one or two persons who are very active on social media or they are doing other things as well. Why not asking them, hey, wouldn't that be interesting for you if you would jump a little bit into that role to commercialize our product? There are engineers who want clearly to sit on the table, non-visible, and they want just to have the process design for a plan somewhere and they want to get this done, full stop. And that's good. And there are others, for instance, like me, who don't want to, <laughs> who don't want to be to sit in the office all day long over these, you know, calculations and things like that for the process to get this done. I want to bring this to the people, especially if you if you look into the sales department. Sometimes you find some some golden nuggets which maybe wants to transfer, but offer that. 
train them, bring them to the position, and then they bring everything with. They have knowledge about market, they have knowledge about the technology. More important, they have the knowledge about your customers. Come on. So train them, find a person, ask an open question. Is there someone who wants to jump into the marketing and tell them it's not about a PowerPoint presentation, it's about all the other things, and then why not? Today you're a CEO. Wow. Of your, of your own company, but okay. you're a CEO. Yeah. Your last job before that, you had the title of CMO, did you? Correct. Were you part of the board as the CMO? No. Do you know any example within the industry of a CMO, which, I mean, would it be a standard that the CMO is part of the board? So CMO is chief marketing officer. In our industry, I don't know really, but I read an example from Infineon, for instance. Clearly, there's a CMO and clearly he's covering all the 100% you're saying. Not alone, he has a big team, but he's clearly on the board. If it comes to the you know, crucial decisions, he's part of that because everybody wants to gather this knowledge because he knows the customers. He is creating the strategy. He's creating the go-to-market strategy. And then he trickles down to the team. My question is really, if you look at the typical extremely successful startups, usually you have the founder, maybe the founding team, one of them is going to be the chief growth officer or whatever trendy name, which when you think of it is the chief marketing officer. And they will always have marketing like one of the pillars. Sometimes even before the product, you have some people who market the idea and the challenge and their prototype long before having a product. So it is integral to that management team. In the water industry, often the marketing leader will report maybe with a dotted line to the CEO, but he's not part of the management team, or he will report to the sales director. And exactly. then there's a clear imbalance between sales exactly. and marketing. Does that mean that we have it structurally wrong? Maybe not wrong, but maybe we should open to test this out, whether that works or not. If you have a strong marketing guy who does have the knowledge, bring them in the leadership team to gather the knowledge and to develop something. But again, you have to have the right people. If you just have someone who's just, you know, the one of the four Ps, that doesn't make any sense. You need to have a strong person. You need to have a strong person who knows exactly, as I said, market, technology, and customers. If you have one of these, and he has also the strategic elements, the background of marketing, which is not PowerPoint, I can't repeat myself as often as possible. If you have this, bring them in the leadership, ask them, put them together, keep them at least on the same level as the sales director. The sales director is quite often in our industry used on that level, but the marketing not because of lack of competences from marketing. So that you'd, is blame, the issue. you'd blame the marketing, not the management? Well, both. Both. First of all, as management, you have to figure out, you have to install in this position someone who has the capability. And if you have someone who has not all the capabilities, train them. Other way around, if you want to be in that position as an engineer, hey, jump up, increase yourself, raise your hand and try to go into this position. They are both ends, right? But bring the capabilities. One of the questions you, you always have if you go to, let's say, an interview for corporate or forever, one of the questions the applicant mostly have is, what kind of training do I get? How often do you train me? Is there any kind of training program? I try, you, you said I'm CEO, I, I will never use this kind of title because I'm a very small company and CEO means for me something different. But let's call it managing director, at least, from a legal perspective. And we want to hire people. And if I get the same question, I always ask back, how many hours you spend yourself in training yourself, reading books, taking courses on your own pocket? What is the most common answer? Zero. I know you, you know me. So I spend hundreds of hours on books, on courses, on videos to become better. And these are the persons you have to reach out. These are the persons you have to look for and then bring them to the position and then you will have a game change in your company. You present that element of the training. You are known, at least to me, to be a very black and white person. So I will ask you a very difficult exercise, which is <laughs> to have definite answers to broad open questions. I don't know if you read that book. It's a book from Tony Xie. He was the founder of Zappos. No. And his book is called Delivering Happiness. Mm -hmm. And he explains the process he put in place at, at Zappos. And the process was regardless of the job you're going to take, and it might be the most senior management roles, you would have to start by two weeks at least in customer relationship, mm -hmm. like taking the calls of the customers, like really in the, in yeah. the call center. Yeah. So to him, that was the single best place to understand what Zappos was about. You mentioned that a new marketing person would have to understand the product. So I guess being hands-on on the product, you mentioned your, your activity carbon experience. You also mentioned that they would have to jump on a call and sales visits with sales guys to meet the customer. Those are two 
things, the customer and the product. If you have a single one, what's the single most important one? Customer. Customer, clearly, clearly, you have to understand what the customer really wants. As a marketer, you don't have to understand the technology in that depth as the R&D person. That's not necessary. But you should be able to go into a room with a client and you should be able to pitch what your company is doing. If you are not able to do so, you're in the wrong position. Or, I blame the management, you haven't trained your marketing enough. It's on both ends. I know clearly that there are many marketers out there in our water industry who doesn't like what I'm saying. I get a lot of feedback, positive feedback, if I say things like this, from management, from sales, but marketing feels a little bit in the defense. Some are forced to reach out to me to figure out what kind of service I'm offering. And directly after a minute, if I realize that, I mean, they will not see the, say this directly in the way that they were forced to reach out to me, but I realize that, that they are somehow forced. Someone said, hey, this is a cougar, reach out to him, figure out. There will never be any business, any relationship because they don't want to be in the position. They feel really, damn, there's someone saying something against my position. Maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but all others around me are saying he's right. So that puts me a little bit in the spotlight and a little bit into the dark light. And they don't want to be that. And it's not my intention to do so, but I really want to encourage both ends step out bring the knowledge with step out from the eight percent go to the level that you can teach a board about strategic decisions on application on market on geography whatever it is and don't focus just on you know social media facebook or whatever i'm coming back to the story of the customer to connect to the customer the water industry is a difficult beast <laughs> because is it i fear so <laughs> it's you have this this food chain if you're the product supplier you sell to an integrator. If you're an integrator, you sell to an OEM, the OEMs to an EPC, the EPC to a general contractor, the general contractor under the watch of a consultant, maybe to the end customer. Let's say you're an OEM or an integrator. You, you sit in that middle, low part of the food chain and you want to understand your customer. Who are you visiting? Both. So what do you mean by both? If you're in the middle of the food chain, you need to understand, let's say if you sell to an EPC, you need to understand what the EPC is doing. You need to understand what is this EPC looking for that they will consider my tag into the next project. But also you need to understand if the EPC goes, for instance, to BASF or Tesla or whoever is the end customer. You need to understand what is the process over there. What are they treating? Are they treating process water? Is it groundwater? Two process water? Is it wastewater? And they want to reuse it? What is that? You need to have bring this knowledge with. That's what I'm saying. You need to understand the market. Client, yes. If the EPC is your client, if you're always going to EPC or EP company with your tech, you need to understand how you can reach that. What are the triggers that he will consider my technology for the next project? You need to have an overall understanding from the market. The journey doesn't end. If you know that your product is somewhere installed in a wastewater treatment plant, somewhere at Novartis in Switzerland, you should at least know that. Maybe there is a market for your product, which you haven't considered. Maybe there is a market for the chemical industry where you fit, maybe you go in a vertical way. And that's what I'm saying. You have to understand sure how you can reach by marketing activities to your client, if it is the EPC or whoever it is, but you need to understand the entire process. You need to understand everything up to the end customer. What is he doing with that? How long does it last? How often do you have to exchange that? Because it also is interesting if you want to have a service business, things like that, even then you can have a kind of marketing strategy to nurture them or whatever. Right? That is the point. So you need a, a holistic, I don't like the word holistic, but in principle, it is a kind of holistic approach to see the entire market, the water industry as complete industry and not only focus on, okay, what is my customer doing? Okay, I'm giving that the product and then I'm out. So forget that, that, that doesn't work. Then you are not that person we described. Then you're back to the 8%, maybe to 25%, but you're not to the other elements. Doesn't that sound like a 20th century approach? I mean, nowadays you can just buy a market study. The best market study you can have is grab your phone, take the next flight, go to the customer and talk to them. Go to a fair trade show where your customers are and just talk to them. Do a round trip, go to a conference where customers from you are and ask them directly, what is it what you want to figure out what is the trend for the market? 
And then you have realistic numbers. And maybe then you can go to a company which will sell you kind of these market reports. Be very careful with that to get a complete picture. But if you just go out and take the cheapest market report on, I don't know, take an example for MBR, you will never ever get the information which are realistic and true to set up a strategy. That doesn't make any sense. Go out and ask your clients. And that is, again, that is marketing job. If you think, well, that could be an interesting application. Maybe we should go there. Send your marketing team out there to figure that out. And if you just put 5,000 on the table to get a market study to figure out whether you should go or not, that is a wrong decision. Put the 5,000 somewhere else. Put it in all the flight and hotel expenses that your market team can go there to these places and let them talk. That is much more effective than just buy a report. If I now take the other angle, let's say it's a water company who goes by the book you just described, which sounds very clever to really go and meet the customers and understand where they live, what's their daily struggles, how you can help and everything. So marketing goes out and meet the customers. I hope sales goes out and meets the customer. Maybe there's global business development or local business development and they go out and they meet the customers. Maybe you have product managers and they go out and they meet the customers. By the way, we're recording that in Istanbul, which you might be hearing right now. That makes a lot of different stakeholders who go out and meet the customers. Isn't there a point in time where it's too much interactions of too many different people within the same company? Definitely, let's say, what you describe is, for instance, an approach you have at GF. I know that because we talked about this. But let's say all small and medium size, they don't have this marketing team which goes out. They don't have this business development team which can talk. They don't have the product management team. Sometimes they have sales, which are more process engineers as sales. So I think we are talking more about these companies. If you have all of these together, if you have the people and the team on board who can go out with different hats, then you just have to define the order and what is the purpose. What do they have to find out? Then you can send, for instance, marketing first to gather the first information. If that is interesting and you get the right signal, send out the BD team. And then you can send out, if there's really interest, maybe you can send out the product team or sales team to turn that. To gather the first information, you should send out the marketing team. That should be the first point of contact. Now you've listed many different channels. So you could go to a trade show, you can join a sales call, you can go to conferences, you can go visit sites. I mean, I'm not repeating all the ones you gave us. I'm back with my black and white question. <laughs> if you have to pick one, or actually if you have to start with one, because that's where people would have something very actionable at the end of that conversation, where should they start? If you are a very young company, especially a startup, and you don't have any contacts at all, I would clearly go to conferences. I would go to conferences and I would use the time, especially between the speeches, the keynotes, and I would try to talk as many as people as possible. I did this years ago. I went to a food conference. I had no clue about what they had topics on stage. I never heard about <laughs> There was, you know, a cake factory, a beverage company, a chocolate factory, and they talked about production things. I never heard about that. And, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was not my topic. But what I did is I tried to talk as many as people in the breaks about a topic I'm interested in. How do you see this? How do you see the market? How is the development? What would you do if? What is your biggest pain? Things like that. And they are open to talk to you. I mean, it's a, it's a talk during a coffee. And that's where you gather the first information, whether that is the right direction. And then you can collect a couple of emails or phone numbers. And then you can have a second step. Maybe you have a deeper conversation. Let's say if you really start from zero, that would be my first thing. If you are a little bit more advanced and if you have a CRM system, hopefully, in place, then you have a list. I would pick the telephone list and would start from the top to the, to, the, to the bottom and the high potentials I would go and visit, clearly. So you would start by visiting the best customers? Not the best, I'm the high potentials in terms of which can give me the highest value of information I'm looking for. It doesn't need to be my best customer. Maybe it's a very small customer for me, but he has a vertical for something different, which I might be interesting. And then I go to him. Maybe it's a small customer for me, but maybe it can be a big one or he has the information I'm just looking for. So number one was conference. Number if, if, two, you, if you have nothing, if you really start from zero, clearly I would go to conference, but not a conference about water. I would go to a conference where my clients are. This food conference was, was interesting. As I said, I was sitting there I couldn't follow the, the keynotes because it was absolutely not, not my topic. But I tried to get the people during the break and then we had the conversation and then we followed up during dinner and the day after. And then I called them and then I got the information I wanted to have. 
So if you start from scratch, you go to a conference from one of your potential verticals, maybe food and beverage, maybe yeah. uh, whatever. Yeah. So not to a Global Water Summit or a Blue Tech Forum. Now they, they are the same people uh, as me. So it doesn't make any sense. Okay. And so if you are more advanced, like you're taking over a position in a company which exists and which has a proven database, you start with a CRM and you take the most promising leads. Yeah. Okay. I cannot just, just not notice that you didn't mention trade show. And I do know because we had that conversation in front of camera a while ago. I'm not a big believer in trade shows. And you do think that they are still a very, very actual thing, which brings a lot of value. So what is the role and position of trade show within that ecosystem? For the water industry? Yes. It is still a place where people come together and can talk about projects, about technology, about news of the industry. It is still a place coming together. What we will see in future, there are, there are two aspects here I want to mention. What we will see in future is we will have less trade shows, clearly. All the small ones which are not so lucrative, especially after COVID, they will disappear. But the big ones, WefTech, AquaTech, IFA, these are really the big ones, they will stay. They will stay and they will stay important. We need a place to talk, even if it is on supplier to supplier level. It doesn't mean necessary all, all the time that we have a talk to a lead or to a client, but even our existing clients are running around there and we can have another talk about how's it going. You can here really have a place where you can meet all your clients, where you can meet suppliers, where you can meet partners, and that is still important. We are humans. We want to look into the other's eyes and the camera is good up to a certain level, but at a certain point, we need to meet and we need to have a coffee together because that helps so much the relationship. It is still business between humans. This is age to age, humans to humans. Even if we are in B2B, B2C, or whatever, however you want to call that. We are talking to humans. That is the one aspect. But none of the elements you mentioned command for having a booth. You can meet your customers by visiting I'm, the trade show. What I said, that was the first element. Okay. The second is, and that will change dramatically, or let's say you have to change. If you are a company and you want to present your technology, you have to think in a different way to use a fair trade show as in the past. In the past, it was you booked some space, you had two walls, one machine on your, on your, on your booth, five sales people uh, sitting in the back playing on their mobile phones. So that is the normal case. I'm over-picturing this. You say in the past or is it still the case? It is still the case. Recently, I've been to, to, to my last fair trade and even there I saw that. What you have to do today, I mean, we are living in a digital world. Everything is digital, even our industry, even the B2B. So give them a reason to meet you. I'm always saying to my clients, look, it's the same as you go into the bar and you want to meet the other sex, whether it's a male or a female, it doesn't matter. So you need to be attractive enough that they recognize you, that you are there. It's the same with, if you go to a fair trade show. If you go there and you have a booth and you want to present your technology, ensure that the people know that you are there, give them a reason to stop by and having a clear message, this one should take with. And then, as final point, create content, content, content out of that. You have one week, that is the longest, I think, fair trade show we have. I see IFAD is really one week, it's pretty long. You have the team over there, create content, have meetings, have meetings with your clients, suppliers, put videographers on the booth, create events out of that. This is what you have to do. If you just go there and have your machines and five salespeople, you will not be successful anymore in the next years because this is how we did it in the past but the time has changed first i don't like that idea because that means much more competition for me <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking it sounds sounds really like 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 the good way to to address it i'm just wondering again i'm sorry i'm pushing you only with black and white what is this one single mistake you see companies doing again and again on trade shows which really which you find horrible like it's that thing which makes you sick. If I can only pick one, that's, that's a hard one. What makes me really sick is if I see people on the booth working, watching the mobile phone, are distracted by other things and not taking care about the people who are running around. That makes me, if I see that, I want to go on the booth, I want to shake this person. Someone spent thousands of euros for this booth to bring the technology to here, to bring you here. And you are sitting over there and you are playing on your mobile. What sense does this make? Nonsense. So that is, for me, the biggest thing I see 
quite too often. All others are, let's say, that you are just boring. You don't tell the people that you are there. You're not attractive enough. Back to my bar example. At IFAD, there are coming thousands of people every day and you have competition with all the other boosters. How many boosters and series talks you can have over this one day in these eight hours. I don't know, pick a number, 10, 15, whatever that is. So that means there are 15 talks I can have to, I don't know, 3000 exhibitors. How do you ensure that you are on my list? And most people don't think about that. They just say, hey, we go to Efort and the people will stop by, but this will never happen. Give me a reason because there are others I can stop by. And maybe they give me a reason and then I go there. That is the other mistake I quite often see. That was the negative side. Let's look at the positive side. You've been at most of the big trade shows. You recently went to smaller ones. Mm -hmm. Out of the water industry, can you pick three very good practices that people could steal and replicate straight away in a very short fashion? Like that one is great, that one is great, that one is great. For trade shows? Yeah. Things you've seen where you thought, that is really a good one. Um, Doesn't that silence already say a lot about <laughs> the lack of good practices? <laughs> what attracts me most is really if your booth is in a different design and your behavior as people on the booth is different to all the boring other ones. So that is the first thing. Again, there are, I think, 3,000 exhibitors, 3,000 booths about water on the IFAD. Please don't name me on, on the number. Yeah, but but I, fr from the magnitude, yeah. it, it can't be wrong. So you have to ensure that you stand out. I love my bar example. If someone comes into a bar, you have to ensure that you get recognized if that is your target group. And it's the same with the booze. You have to ensure if someone comes to the show, they cannot ignore you. Whatever you do, they cannot ignore you. You can do this with funny things. I had a talk once with a professional triathlete and he said one of his sponsors was a machine company and he booked him to be on the fair trade show. And then he took his bike, it was an 8,000 euro bike. And he had just this bike at the booth and sometimes he was driving with his bike on the floor. And everybody, I mean, we are engineers in the end. I'm always saying we are stupid engineers because I can say that I'm an engineer. We want to see things like that. Bring things. I have seen the DeLorean. I have seen a very old motorbike from the 40s. That was one of my projects. I had the, the story of the founder. So I said, the first picture of the, of the founder was he was sitting on a motorbike in the 30s and he went to the first customer let's take this bike and put it because we are engineers we want to see we want to talk and then we have a story to talk about so a, a pattern interruption yeah. that you, you you break yeah. a bit the walls of booth and it's something which makes you stop and look at the booth but yeah. then you need to have the messaging right exactly how do you convey a message in such a crowded environment it makes me think sometimes you know of times square in new york there are so many ads everywhere why should you focus on one when there are thousands? You know, you know what? I tell you a secret. For instance, the EFAT is every second year. The Aquatech is every second year. So that means after the last, you have two years time to prepare your clients, to tell your clients that you are again there and give them a reason to come. So that doesn't mean that you have to have this message only during the one week at the EFAT in Munich. You can have this message in different ways. And then we are back a little bit to promotion, how you can promote this. And if they see all the time similar message and give me a reason to come, and then I'm coming to the show. And then I, as you said, you break the pattern because something is different. And then I'm watching and you're telling me the story, which you tease at me upfront over the last two months, and I'm curious about to hear that. That is one thing. That is how you, it, because you don't have to concentrate just on the couple of days, how long the trade show is. You can prepare that. And then also there's an element after the show. Don't forget that. The show doesn't end that someone stopped at your booth and said, hey, what a cool technology. Tell me about that. It doesn't stop at that point. It goes further. And this you have also to consider as marketer. So before we close that deep dive, I want to take you to a last field, which is maybe a bit more philosophic. <laughs> there is this theory of you should go in terms of strategy to a blue ocean, mm -hmm. which is opposed to a red ocean. The beauty of a blue ocean is that you have less competition and you have a broad perspective and a great market which you can tap into. The downside of that approach, if you're in the water industry, is that as Polo Kalan shared on that microphone a while ago, it takes very long for a new tech, a new solution to take off in that market. We are speaking of decades. So if you're in the blue ocean and creating a new category, open a new section of the market, you are facing an ocean that's fully flat. There's no wave, there's no wind. So it might be a blue ocean, but you're alone and it's not sure you can move. On the other hand, the red ocean has this drawback of ships everywhere and a lot of competition. 
but you're absolutely sure that there is a market. And if you deliver better than the others because you have the right marketing people in place and they understand the ins and outs of the market, they understand the customer and your product is legit and you know how to nail your go-to-market route, then maybe that is also a competitive advantage and you are building kind of a blue ocean category within the red ocean. Absolutely. Aren't you concerned when some of the young companies you're dealing with say, look, we don't have competition. We are very new. We open a new category. Don't you want them? Like, beware, the blue ocean can be dangerous. Who am I to want someone if they define the strategy for themselves? If they ask me about my opinion, then clearly. But let's say up to the point that I'm jumping in and helping them, there is some time left. They developed something and they have a clear, strong signal that they want to go that direction. In principle, I don't judge that at the moment. What I do judge is more for the existing customers who are since years in the red ocean and since years having losses over losses over losses or not profit, call it this way. And then you should think about, okay, doesn't it make sense to change the strategy. If a startup wants to jump into a new business, into a new category, let them try. Sometimes you bring things with and an opinion with and a behavior with we have never seen before and that's good for our industry. I would rather that judge that for existing clients. And there are so many examples. If I have a strategy session with my clients, and we go over that, I'm giving them some examples. And I think I published this once. For instance, in the activated carbon world, there are tons of activated carbon suppliers. Most of them, they are somewhere in Belgium, but we have also some German ones, which try to fight against the big players, but mostly they fail. But there's also another company, who's in the, which is in the activated carbon game. It's called Blücher. Blücher is a very small company. Not, it's actually not a small, it's a company with a long lasting history, and they have a special product made out of activated carbon. For instance, they have developed years ago, they have developed a, an activated carbon with a surface much higher, much better kinetics, just better product as all the others had. And they opened an own category. The point there was they had just a small market share, but therefore they had a very, very high price and a very high profit. That was the interesting fact. And I'm always taking this example with that they opened some kind of new category, also with other activated carbon products. They didn't jump into the drinking water or they didn't jump into where all the Belgian companies are. They developed something really special, activated carbon and for closes, for military applications or something like that. So they jumped really in the niche. For sure, they know that the market share is pretty low, but the profit can be even higher. And if you check the numbers, because they're all public companies, you can see the numbers. I show that in my strategy session. You can see, really see how this, how this is growing. And then you take a couple of examples from German companies, for instance, which are just in the activated carbon business. And then you see they are struggling all the time and things like that. There's also, I know, membrane companies who are really focused on a special application and they don't want to fight against, you know, Kubota, against Zivit, against all the other well-known. They, they keep in their niche for their niche application, but therefore they are the, clearly the market leader and they have a high price. And I really encourage the people which are struggling with numbers to look, maybe you shouldn't fight all the time against all the big ones, established ones, because your product is just 5%, 10% different as the others. But it's not enough that you convince with that the client because the other company is well known and maybe he has a better price. So it's not enough. Maybe you should step back, have another look, and then you go into a direction they are not in. And then you can define your own kind of blue ocean. Blue ocean red is always black and white. It's clearly black and white. There are many shades between. And that's what I'm saying, saying to, to my customers. Hey, we have to find a niche where you can jump in, but you don't have to fight against the big ones. And that is interesting. It doesn't need to be a completely blue ocean, but at least make it a little bit less sharky, you know, with less sharks, call it this way. And do you have like a playbook as to how to identify that section of the ocean? Yes. But that's the secret. <laughs> I guess people would have to contact you exactly. if they want to, to tap exactly. into that. To close that deep dive, I'd like you to come back to look at the full journey. You've given many different pieces of advice, but a journey starts somewhere. There's a beginning of the road. So from the people listening to that, from the different profiles they may have, what would be the single action they have to take. Let's start with a first type of profile for the CSU, decision makers which are listening to this. What is the first action they, they can take if they want to up their game when it comes to marketing? And don't answer me, call me, I can help no, you no, because no. that no, is no. a given. 
No, no, they no. should call you no, no. And, and you will help them. But no. what is the simple action they can take take, today? Take marketing serious. That is the most important thing. Take them really as a strategic partner, bring them to the leadership level and ensure that they have the knowledge to deliver everything from strategic, tactic, market knowledge, all the things. Train them to the level that you have someone who can talk to you if you are the CEO, if you are the board, which can talk to you on eye level and give you clearly advice for the next things. I encourage them to take that serious, to train the people in a way that they are able to deliver what you're looking for, that you don't have to do this your own or to outsource that. That doesn't make any sense. Have the capability insights. For the finance and investor people listening to us, do they have to interact with marketing and what should they do or act on the marketing level? The finance people, the investors, is there any advice I can give to them? Um, I don't know. Let me elaborate a bit on it. I'm thinking, I'm an investor Mm -hmm. and uh, I'd like to put some stakes in a company which just gave a good pitch. My line of thought would be something like, if they don't understand marketing right, they probably misjudge whether the markets or the persona or the customer or the leads. And if they don't nail that, then how serious is the rest of whatever they propose? I think pretty important for an investor is that they understand really the go-to-market strategy for the product. And there should be people be involved in that who really have access to the clients. If it just come from the CFO and from the CEO and there's a team behind, talk to the team who developed this strategy because it's never just a C-level strategy. They're not working on this alone. And if you're an investor, try to ensure that this strategy is correct and is based on fundamentals, on serious numbers, that someone has really talked to the clients, that what is in the pipeline is really serious. By the way, it could be, we could spend another hour on the on pipelines. <laughs> but if you're an investor, look into that, does they have a team? And I'm, again, I'm not about the promotion part, really about the strategic part that the marketing, or at least there is a person who's taking care about the strategic aspect. And it's not the CEO. The CEO has to run a company and he has to have a vision and he has to have total different things and total different playbook. There must be someone who's having these kind of, develop these kind of go-to-market strategies and they have to ensure that this market and application they want to go into are correct, that there is a market, that they don't fall into the trap and say after a year, oh, well, we figured out, well, there is not really a market, sorry for that. So for the C-level, take marketing seriously, look at them at eye level, train them if needed, but take them as sparring partner. Yeah. For the investors, ensure that the go-to-market is based on the right assumptions and that there is a product market fit and that there is a market to look after. Last persona, the salespeople listening to that, what is the first action they should take? The salespeople, uh, I think there are two actions. Let me give them two actions. Okay. First is, if marketing comes to you with new ideas, try it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be so defensive and say, ha ha, we did this, it doesn't work. Maybe there's a reason why the marketer or the marketing person or the marketing team wants to test something new. And the other thing is, if you want to jump into that game, go to your boss and say, hey, I want to go into that game. I want to train myself. I have this knowledge. I have the passion for that. It's not about PowerPoint. It's really about marketing the company and everything what belongs to that. If you have a passion for that, go to your boss, train yourself. There's so much stuff out there. Come with knowledge. Be a good exchange partner for the marketing team to grow with the marketing team. Take a leadership position, maybe marketing if possible. I want to encourage these salespeople to think about more from the marketing perspective, not only from the sales perspective. You were speaking of passion. I think whenever you speak about marketing, one can feel the passion that you have for that field. So it was a pleasure to have that renewed deep dive into marketing maybe you can come back in two years or maybe before that i would love to as we discuss about this pipeline topic i think it would be a good additional (laughs) hour i have to improvise some rapid fire questions to close with because we already had my first list it's time for the rapid fire questions what is the craziest tech water tech you've ever seen Ooh, that is a tough question the craziest water tech forward osmosis (laughs) I love the concept of of forward osmosis and it's one of the craziest things from the technical perspective to understand that, but also from the market and application perspective. There are a lot of question marks still in my head and hopefully we will see this more, but I think there's a potential, but it's a tough one for forward osmosis. But this is one of the craziest. I think there are many, but let's say I have to pick one, so yeah. French car or German car? I can't imagine that you're asking me this question. Uh, Clearly a German car. (laughs) I wanted to give you a simple one. So you, you mentioned that you're reading a lot of books oh, yeah. and following a lot of courses. 
if you had to recommend one book and one content resource for water professionals, what would it be? From the book perspective, now I have to find the name, is the founder from ClickFunnels. I read many books. Arnold Schwarzenegger, for instance, the biography is pretty amazing, especially if it comes to his 10 rules. But this is not the book I, I really want to put on the table here. One is really Russell Brunson, which is the founder of ClickFunnels. And he wrote expertsecret.com secrets and another one. And that was the first time that I read a book. I read it to the end. I closed the book and I was saying to myself, I got it. This never happened with any other book, but it was really, I got it. And that was one of the books which encouraged me and, you know, helped me to form the company, to find myself, to find my voice in the industry. And I would really recommend, cost, I think, 10 euros on, on Amazon. Get this. I think you can also get this free in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of PDF version. But this was so helpful for me, at least, really. That's the book recommendation. Now the content. Content for what? You, you mentioned how you're, you're following courses. I, I leave it really open. Whatever content source which is really inspiring for very specifically the water industry. I mean, the one source I really follow is, is clearly LinkedIn. And there I have a couple of people I follow and look what they are doing. Let's be more specific than LinkedIn. Who are those persons? Now you get me in trap a little bit. I mean, obviously, I have to say one of the persons is you and, and, and your podcast. He, he had to. It's, it's mandatory. If you want to be on the podcast, you have to be very positive about me. I, I'm this kind of person, you know. Also, the, the CEO of Acceptance. Baldassar Lagetana. Baldassar, he's doing a lot of things and which really made me think of a couple of content pieces. But one person who really inspired me over the last six months was Patrick Decker, the CEO of Salem. Not because of his move to take over Evokwa, really about his what he is posting in a, such a humble way. I will never forget the post last year during BevTech. He posted on his personal profile, just some three lines of text. I will be next week, Tuesday from, I don't know, Two to five at the booth at Beftex, at the silent booth at Beftex. Come to me, say hello, talk to me. I felt really that it was his intention that if you have an interest, going to him, to talk to him, to get his mind, to get his view, even if you get just five minutes. But he meant that in a humble and serious way. And I saw a couple of posts like this over the last time from him. Sometimes he's just recommending music. I mean, he's the CEO of one of the biggest water companies we have, and he makes it on a really personal level. So if you really want to have, I don't want to use the word role model, even if I use it right now, but go over these two CEOs, take the piece maybe you want to have and, and to find your voice. My favorite post of Patrick Dicker is obviously the one where he says that, hey, that awesome interview with uh, with Antoine on the Don't Waste Water podcast is out, you should listen to it. So I really love his posting since that. No, so, so I got the money now back, <laughs> right? Because I give you the bridge. No, joke, joke aside, uh, I, I share your recommendation. I'm really amazed by what he's posting. And I, I really like the fact that the CEO of now with the acquisition, the second largest water company, shares music recommendation and explaining why he likes that music. That makes a personal connection. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the point. He's the CEO, of, but he comes down to us call it this way, and he wants to talk to us, to you and me and to all other water professionals. And it looks like, and it feels like that he's one of us. If he invites me, come over to talk to me. Actually, I was not at Weftech. Hopefully he will do this again on a show where he will be and I will be. So then I will definitely reach out and we'll see whether he mean that seriously, but I'm 100% sure that was a serious invitation. Much shorter, Aquatech or Ifat? More and more Aquatech. More and more Aquatech. I like the technologies and Aquatech is really technology driven while IFAD is really focused really on installations, on process, on, on bigger things on the, from a bigger scale. I fall in love with really the Aquatech. Favorite movie? Top Gun. I love Top Gun. Top Gun or the new Top Gun? Both. Definitely one of one of the movies. In Germany, it's called uh, Will Smith. I don't know the English title. Maybe you can help me out here. Uh, Streben nach Glück. Oh, I know it in French. La recherche du bonheur. Uh, I'm not sure it helps us because now we have it in German <laughs> and in French. <laughs> but it is exactly how he with his son, he lived on the street and he grew up. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real story. And he became an investment banker. And he said one thing to his, I get some goosebumps if I think about that. Because I'm saying this to my boys as well. But if someone says to you, you can't do it, he's wrong. You can do whatever you want. And he has proven that. And that's really one of the concepts I tell my boys. Whatever it is, 
you can become everything. And if your son says, I want to become a water entrepreneur, we'd say, no, don't do that. Not that industry. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Or would you encourage him? Well, if they want to be, you know, offshore, if they want to be an, an entrepreneur. Not an entrepreneur, a water entrepreneur. Even if it is a water entrepreneur, for sure, I would encourage them. You have to consider one thing, and that's normally one of the questions you're asking. Let's make it proper way. What is the thing you learned the hard way? Really, the hardest way over the last two years for me was it is not hard to find clients and to find money. It is hard to find people who has the same passion and has the ambition to work with you for these clients, which gives you money. Finding people in our industry with the knowledge, the passion and the strive to come to the next level for your clients, that is the hard way I really learned. I was thinking other way around, that it is harder finding finding customers, but it's not. It's totally the other other way. And that is really, I'm struggling still today. So a shout out, if, if, you, if you are interested, reach out to me. Uh, we are always looking forward to, to hire new people. I was going to ask if you were actively recruiting, but you, Absolutely. you did it directly. Always. And I guess if someone listens up to the rapid fire question, you can guess that they can at least connect to what you're sharing. Yeah. My closing question is very simple. Would you have someone to recommend me that I have to invite on that microphone? I mean, last time I, I recommend you someone and you didn't invite him. So, I mean, clearly, I, I, there's just one person I really want to have on your microphone. We, we came with his name is Patrick Decker. So, Patrick, if you hear this... But I already had Patrick Decker on that microphone. Yeah, but it was not really this interview, this kind of format. True. And I want really to have him on this format. Okay. I would really listen. So I do you the favor, I t take this name. I have to say I agree with him, Patrick. So. <laughs> well, thanks, Bjorn. It's been a repeated pleasure to have you on that microphone. I'm serious. We can have that update whenever you want again. It's always good to discuss the depth of marketing with you. I feel like we've scratched the surface again, like every time we discuss marketing with you. But if people want to follow that, what's the best place to, to get in contact with you? Is it LinkedIn? Yeah. If it's okay. LinkedIn. So and there you find everything from me, from, from the company. Reach out to me, send me a message. Not only hi, say hi and maybe a short message that, will, that would help. Yeah, clearly. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Antoine. And talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.